0: Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. I'm going to ask the rest of you to join them in standing. Please, I want to read you the Word of God this morning. And uh, I'm not going to apologize, but it's a lengthy passage. Um, it's not a portion of Exodus chapter 33, it's the whole flipping chapter, okay? So, the Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt. Go up to the land I promised you on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. That was his promise. And then he says this, I'll send an angel before you and drive out all the ites, Canaanites, Amorites, etc. Go up to the land that is flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you. "'Cause you're a stiff-necked people "'and I might destroy you on the way.' When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments for the Lord had said to Moses, "'Tell the Israelites you're a stiff-necked people. "'If I were to go with you for a moment, "'I might destroy you.' And so they take off their ornaments and they are there at the foot of Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, but it's Mount Sinai. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the Tent of Meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose, stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. So as he'd go out, everyone stands at their tent and kind of salutes. As Moses went to the tent, the pillar of cloud would come and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. He stayed there. Moses says to the Lord, verse 12, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, God, that you know me by name and that I found favor with you. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I might know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, and these next two verses are very interesting. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. Then Moses says to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do this very thing you've asked, because I'm pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, Now show me your glory. The Lord said, I'll cause my goodness to all of my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you can't see my face, for no one can see that and live. And the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face must not be seen. Father, I pray your anointing upon your word, upon our hearts, our minds, to receive today. Um, speak to us in this moment of time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. maybe may be seated. For those of you who um, have joined us in this last month, eight weeks or so, um, I'm a stranger to you. Um, uh, I've I left on April twenty third and uh, returned May thirty first um, for what was billed as a study trip. Somebody caught me earlier and in, in full well meaning um, just said, "Hope you had a good vacation." Um, so I have to explain it wasn't a vacation. In the last ten days of it were a vacation. It was nice. Um, the first three weeks were more of a desert element. I didn't realize until in first service, before the first service, um, we'd made a little bit of a joke of it, because it turned out it, I was, I was going to be gone for 39 days, and we were saying, well, I need to make it one more, make it 40 days. You know, A lot of biblical aspects to that, You know, 40 days of temptation by Jesus, 40 days in the desert, 40 days... What I realized just before I came out in first service is that um, it was 39 days, and it was one day for every year I've served this church. And I didn't realize that. in didn't connect in my head until uh, first service. Um, the purpose was designed in part to be rejuvenating, but another part was to um, study and examine the, the, the children of Israel in the land of Egypt, their experiences, and then follow that path Um, into the desert, into Sinai, and then uh, into Jordan. Um, And so that's pretty much what I did. So for about three weeks, I wasn't with anyone other than a guide. A lot of early morning wake-ups and times like that. But otherwise, I I ate my meals alone, and it was was, uh, without people. And um, don't take this wrong. (laughs) Yeah, it was really great. (laughs) Um, I honestly didn't realize just how how much that was. Um, I realized something uh, when I met with the elders on Monday, and I want to say thank you to them uh, for providing this opportunity. I want to say thank you to the staff for handling things so well as they did, I think just in a phenomenal way and our guests, but also thank you for you as a congregation. Um, um, I have friends of mine who, hearing what I was doing, said, does 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 anybody give you hassle for being gone for so long? And I said, no, actually there isn't. Nobody's been pushing those buttons, um, which I appreciate a lot. Um, But we had a conversation Monday night, you know, are you an introvert or an extrovert? And I I think for the first, I've always said, well, I'm kind of an ambivert. Um, But I have to admit, I've come to realize I'm an introvert. I know that's very shocking to a lot of you who know me, because I am very social. But my energy is drawn, and this is what they say, defines it, where do you draw your energy from? I draw it from being uh, alone. I draw it from being uh, in solitude. So I was into Cairo, and then from Cairo, took a flight up to... uh, or down, yeah, down to Aswan. Had a boat for about three days, and then um, flew from Luxor back to Cairo, and then from Cairo to a place called Dahab, which is on the Red Sea, and the Sinai. Um, went and had someone take me to the foot of Mount Sinai, uh, and started climbing it at about 1.30 in the morning, um, so avoiding the heat of the day, and then getting up on top for the sunrise, and then you come back down. It's about, a, I think it's like a 10 kilometer round trip. And the last 750 steps, the last kilometer so, are straight vertical, stone steps. And so it was pretty uh, intense. From there, there's a ferry that, uh, if I took a flight, it was gonna take me 10 hours to get, what was just really an hour by ferry across the way to Jordan, Aqaba, at the tip of the Jordan. And um, the problem with the ferry, though, is that it's a ferry that goes out every single day, unless it doesn't. <laughs> so I had a little bit of a roll of the dice, but it turned out fine. Got on the ferry, hit Aqaba, and then was in desert areas in Jordan and stuff. Uh, Constantinople, which is now Istanbul, um, was the, the the Rome fell in four hundreds, but the rest of the Roman Empire continued on under Constantinople until fourteen fifty or so. And so the history there, and then uh, got to uh, Rome, which has its own historical elements. And uh, Renee, my wife, joined me at that point in time. Um, she's not so much the desert person; doesn't have the clothes for it. Um, so, uh, so she joined me in uh, in in Rome, and then um, then the vacation about ten days or so from there. After that, down south a bit. So I hadn't planned on talking about any of this, to be honest. I just planned on diving back in, and we had a series set up. i um, talking with staff, and talking with elders and stuff. I realized I, I need to to share with you a bit. So that alone. But there are several things that I gleaned from this time, and I'm going to share a little bit of that this time and a little bit of that next week, and then we'll go into a series we had planned. Um, I think I got most of my emotion out in first service, so I'm hoping I process this through. But um, for any of you who don't know me and this is your first exposure, I really want to um, lower your expectations dramatically. Okay. So let's, um, let's begin with this. I'm gonna ask that the lights be taken out. Don't let anyone move around, don't want you to stumble or fall, but take out the lights for just a minute, please. I'm gonna ask you to look at the platform, and if you can, uh, as the lights are, are going out, if you can ignore the screens and the little red or green lights you might see here or exit signs, and if you're looking at the platform, if, um, if there's something, if that, that, is there any other light that draws you and draws your attention on the platform? you scan the platform right now, is there anything more natural? Ignore all the little electronics. I don't know if there is because it's hard even with this because of these screens right now to see fully, but you might have your attention drawn off to the side over here possibly to a light that we keep burning seven days a week, 24 hours. We began this years ago and for us It's representative of the presence of God. It is not itself, of course, the presence of God. But it is representative of that to us. The idea that that we desire to have that presence with us. Now we can raise the lights back up. And um, as I talk to you this morning, I want to talk to you on something that has been entitled simply, If. Now it has two different meanings, if you will. The first thing that may come to your mind, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the poet a uh, former soldier, uh, Rudyard Kipling, and the poem, If. Anybody? A few of you. Surprising, it used to be a really significantly uh, important uh, piece of literature, still is. This book was given to me um, by uh, my parents, um, and uh, it's a little Hallmark poem book way back. Uh, it says this was in 1970, so I, I must have got this in my first birthday, I'm assuming. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I was afraid you'd laugh at that. Um, <laughs> now, I got it when I was older, and I, I, uh, I've, I've read it every year, practically. There's a few years I've missed, and then I've signed it in the back. So it's, got all, it's an interesting run from 1970 up to now to see the different signatures and the way I expressed it. It's kind of a weird thing. So this is the poem I read, Kipling. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you and that instantly is mostly my job. (laughs) Um, If you can trust yourself when all men doubt you and make allowance for their doubting too. If you can wait and not be tired of waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies, or being hated, don't give way to hating, don't look too good nor talk too wise. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim. This one always called me. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or wash the things that you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn-out tools. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose... Start again at your beginnings. Never breathe a word about your loss. If you can force your heart and nerve and sinew to serve your turn long after they are gone, and so hold on when there is nothing in you except the will which says to them, hold on. If you can talk with crowds and keep your virtue, or walk with kings nor lose the common touch, if neither, loving, if neither foes nor loving friends can hurt you if all men count with you, but none too much." It concludes by saying, "'If you can fill the unforgiving minute with sixty seconds worth of distance, run. Yours is the earth and everything that's in it. Which is more, you'll be a man, my son." So this book and this poem, and the thing, if has been a thing for me over the years. But I want to talk to you about a different if. And while as much as this has shaped me, this other if is to me the most profound if that I've encountered and shapes far more. Exodus 33. In the 32nd chapter of Exodus, you have um, Moses going up to the top of Mount Sinai. He meets with God. They've come out of Egypt. The children of Israel are spread out uh, in the valley below. Um, They're expecting a quick return from him, but it's a slow return. He stays up there for a number of days. And um, they begin to wonder if he's ever coming back. Now, he's up there having this conversation with God about how to establish the tabernacle, which is a tent-type structure that'll be at the center of the camp that'll go with them wherever they move and is a precursor to the temple that's going to be established. He's giving them the Ten Commandments. God has written them out on a stone with his own hand and and, and and established the Ten Commandments. And there's other rules and guidelines. And so this is an incredible experience for Moses. And he's, he's coming back down. He's hearing a tumult in the camp. And here's what's taken place. Thinking he's not coming back, they have um, begun to revert to their own ways and their old ways back in Egypt. And so they, um, they push on Aaron, his brother, who's kind of second in command, saying, Hey, Uh, let's do something here. And so they gather their gold together. They, They create a golden calf, which was an Egyptian god. And they begin to worship this golden calf. And along with the worship was a lot of sensual action and violence and other things that was taking place. And so the camp's going crazy when he comes down. And this is the moment, as he comes down and sees us and hears us, that he's so incensed. Moses is so angry at how the people have violated things that he smashes the uh, Ten Commandments. The next set, he has to chisel out, and it's no longer by the hand of God. And, and so they have a cleansing of the camp, if you will, but then it jumps to 33. And I want you to understand what's taking place here, because um, the Lord is saying to Moses, look, leave this place, and, and I'm going to give you, go up to the land I promised, it's a really great land. It's, it's flowing with milk and honey. He says, I'm going to send an angel. So it sounds really positive. I'm going to send an angel before you. And they're going to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, all these things. Um, in other words, you're going to have everything you want. You're going to have military victory. You're going to have uh, an accomplishment of the land. You're going to have riches and treasures. Everything you want. Everything I promised you, you're going to get. Everything but me. He says, I'm not going to go with you. Not because I'm petulant not because I'm pouting, but because you guys are so screwed up and desire so many other things and you don't have an understanding of holiness, you don't have an understanding of, of love or grace, that, that if I go with you, um, I'm going to kill y'all. <laughs> it just ain't going to work. When the people heard these things, they're distressed. They actually are distressed at the idea of not about having the presence of God. And so they're, they're in mourning about about it. Interesting side point of this next passage in verse 7. There's this tent of meeting that Moses sets up, even though the tabernacle, and this isn't it, it's something separate before the tabernacle is established. It's a tent of meeting outside the camp instead of being in the center. And he would go there and he would confirm with God, which I can tell you, having climbed the mountain up there, is a much easier deal than climbing the mountain on a daily basis to have a conversation, okay? So he would do this. Now when he did this, there would be um, the cloud of God's presence would show up and people knew that he was conferring with God. I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you've ever gone to London, uh, you, you see Buckingham Palace or so, you know the, when the Queen was there, and I'm sure now it's with King Charles, because the Union Jack, the national flag, doesn't fly. Instead, they fly um, this other flag that is the, uh, the royal standard. So when this flag is flying over Buckingham Palace or um, uh, Holyrood up in, in Scotland, you know that the, the monarch is present. Well, in the same way, this cloud would gather, and it was the same type of concept. There's this, there's this presence of God that shows in place. Now, side point again of interest is Joshua, son of Nun, stays there. After Moses goes back, and there's two concepts behind this. Either one, he was so caught up with, with Moses' devotion that he stayed behind all the time and wanted more of God, which is entirely possible. Another part is that he may have been guarding the tent so those that would be just inquiring out of foolishness um, would not get in the way of things. Then you have this exchange in verse 12. Um, you've been telling me all these things. You said that you know me by name. And then it has verse 13 says, If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Teach me your ways. This is a really significant passage of Scripture. For him to sit here and and say this, and I, I want to take one or two more things with this and have you understand How Moses has changed from the beginning. This is the man who said, find another person. I can't talk too well. Get somebody else for it. You you scare me. I don't want to know you. Get somebody else. And now he's saying, teach me your ways. You know be my name, you say, then I want to know you more. And there's this desire. But the really important passage here is found in the 14th and 15th verse. Because the Lord says my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. But in verse 15, the next verse, Moses saying if your presence does not go with us. And so it sounds like, wait, didn't you just hear what God said? Or is there something else that's happening and transpiring in here? The truth is there's something happening that's transpiring here. Because if you listen to it, and I'll emphasize it for you. In verse 14, the Lord says my presence will go with you. You. And Moses says, if her presence does not go with us. Now, in the original language, neither with me or with us is in the original language. The English translators have put those passages there, not to mess with things, but to have you have a, a deeper understanding of what the original language is saying. Because if you break it down, that is what it's saying. What's he saying? My presence, Moses, I'll go with you. You will have salvation. You and I will have a relationship. I will be present in your life. I'm not going with them, but I will go with you. And Moses' response to that is, if you are not going to go with us, don't send us from here. In other words, God... I don't want it just for myself. These people need your grace. They need your presence. Again, think of it. This is the man who said, pick somebody else. I don't want to know you this closely. And he also said, pick somebody else to rescue those people. I I'm not going to do that. Now he's here pleading with God, even though he can have the presence of God. He's sitting here and saying, no. No. I won't go the Israelites had the possibility he was telling them you can have everything all the treasures all the pleasures you just won't have me now for some people that sounds like the perfect religion no God no conviction no challenge but all the perks But Moses is saying here no I don't want that. At the core, it has no meaning for me. The change and development in Moses to who he was, to who he has now become as both a leader, but also as an individual before God is dramatic. No, I won't go. To now, I'll go and I want to know you. No, I'm not going to help those people. To now, God, even if I have you, even if I have they need you. if is this then Moses said to him in verse 15 if your presence does not go with us all of us and the Lord says to Moses in verse 17 I'll, I'll do this because of your intercession and their great need I'll do this because I do know you by name Moses and then Moses says this curious thing he says, now show me your glory. Show me a deeper understanding of who you are. I want to know even more. So, so in the midst of all this, it's not just a thank you, sir, but it's now show me your glory. So God says, okay, I'm going to proclaim my name. I'm going to uh, share these things with you. There are other places in Scripture that we find the presence of God being important. In Genesis chapter 4.14, 4, 14, Cain says you're driving me from the land I'll be hidden from your presence even someone as hardened as Cain a murderer recognizes something about having God's presence hidden from him that even this hardened heart recognized was a problem David in Psalm 51 in his time of repentance is as is, 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 is of all things he doesn't ask to be kept as king he doesn't ask for his position he doesn't ask for all those things he says do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me he can't stand that in the midst of everything else that he would somehow lose the presence of God. In Psalm 16, he has, you'll show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. There's something about the presence of God that without the presence, all the pleasures, all the treasures of Canaan, none of that means anything. There were several things that I took away from this journey that I was on, but the most significant by all is in the moment. I've been extraordinarily blessed in my life. Um, I've swam in the Red Sea, the Black Sea, the Dead Sea, the Sea of Galilee. I have... Traveled on 40-some different countries on four different continents. I've seen incredible things. I have a great family. I have a, a wonderful um, uh, position that satisfies me, and work that satisfies me, which, once it drains at times, satisfies me immensely. I've had good friendships for many years. I have um, have had overall good health, and, 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 and I'm extraordinarily above-average good-looking. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I stretched it a little bit on the last one, all right? A lot, a lot on the last one. When you're in the desert on a horse with no name, actually it was a camel and I named him Fred, you get a different perspective because everything's stripped away. We don't notice the candle in all the lights and all the rest. We don't notice God's presence oftentimes. We come to a church and it's kind of a popular thing now to say experience our church. We have all this great music and these great speakers and, and we have comfortable chairs and we have coffee and all this stuff and everything. Experience the church. And and that's, that's never been the idea here, ever. If we don't come and gather to experience God, then there's no real reason behind it. Yeah. The speaker is a minor point to what's being dead only to lead us to that point. Whatever role the music or the lights or any other positioning things are just to enable or remove distractions for that. But too often in that, we don't see God's presence. We take it for granted. There's a part of that in my life that I'll be honest, I have. As much as I've longed for and appreciate the value of God and the presence of God, it's been so much a part of my life. He's been so much a part of my life since the time I was a child that you take that for granted. But for the idea that for a moment that would not be there, Everything else, health, family, relationships, job, all of those things, to have any of those things and not have the presence of God? Some of you in this room have never really experienced his presence. You've heard stories and you've talked in one of the songs we were going to play was Good, Good God. You've heard stories of who he is. But to experience him, to get quiet enough in your life, to get separated enough away from the, forgive me, all the crap that happens and and all the thinking that goes on to just clarify that. And so, yeah, there was this portion of time when I, I realized in the most stunning fashion that I've ever had, and I don't know if I can translate that for you, that it really, truly has reached a point of not being taken for granted, but realizing that if I don't have the presence of God in my life, There is nothing. There is such an emptiness that nothing else will fill. Men, this book meant a lot to me. This If poem has shaped some things with me, and and it's good stuff, and it it reads things in. And I hope that you as men, and I hope as you as as women, as mothers, are are putting good things into your children, are leading them. I, I was so thrilled on Wednesday to be out here and see our young people graduating and see so many of the adults present and to see them spread across the campus out there playing volleyball and, and on the porch and, and different things out there and stuff. And a couple of us commented, you know, it, it, a lot of churches have to go to rent a place to, to do this. We are so thrilled to have this on our campus that it's like being at home playing, you know? It's like going to the backyard and hanging out with family. You know, and, 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 and there's so many things you can place and, and, and I hope you do. And, and those things are all good things. My father gave it to me. He died four years ago. And I, and I and I was longing. I, I have to admit, I I missed him <sighs> terribly on this journey because I think I understand more about his life now than I did when we were together. But I am I'm glad that it wasn't. This was not the primary thing he introduced me to. This is what he introduced me to. Yeah. This is what he introduced me to. And and. Men, women, if, if, if you are not introducing this to your children, if they do not understand this, then you're simply building on a legacy of sand. Do they understand that if God doesn't go with them, that all the treasures of Canaan will not fill the gap? Is there an awareness of that? My father used to um, sing these old uh, campy songs sometimes while he was speaking. He was a good vocalist. And, um, but it was genuine, it was authentic. He, he, was, he was someone who really uh, felt what he, he did. I'm sorry. Um, as I was processing this, there was a song that came to my mind but singing it wouldn't have quite taken us there so I want to kind of quasi read this to you and this is really I think what I've come back with and I guess what I want to impart to you and try to have some understanding of this all I once held dear all I once held dear built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to own All I once thought gain, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. The verse kicks in and says, now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in you and known as yours to possess by faith what I could not earn, all-surpassing gift of righteousness. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing, there is no greater thing, there is no greater thing. Father, I pray for this church as Moses interceded for the people of Israel people that I love so much, that God, this morning we would have an understanding of not just this song, but of this passage, that we'd have such a longing for your presence and a desire, and that we'd recognize that there is nothing more important than that. And while in the light we often take you for granted, Father, I pray that in the dark we'd come to see the reality of who you are the significance of that. And that this morning we would take hold of that as your people. I pray this this morning with all my heart. In your name, Lord, we pray. Now, I'm sorry, I just tell I thought it would be different. It's worse, huh? Um... I hate that because sometimes people get the impression that you're trying to manipulate in some way, and that's not true at all. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That was, I actually meant to bring some up, and I didn't. Mute me. (laughs) A little late on that, guys. All right, all right. Um, It's interesting, uh, one of the, there's a song, Rock of Ages. We'll talk about this sometime. And it's drawn from this imagery in, in Revelations where, mm-hmm. where after everything's said and done, Moses just wants to know more about God. Show me who you are and why I can't do it face-to-face because it would be overpowering. Uh, God's going to give him an opportunity and, and he puts him up there and says put in the cleft in the in the crack of the rock and I'll cover you because you can't handle it all but as I've passed by you can peek out and just see at least my lesser parts some way. And this is where the song was Rock of Ages Cleft for Me Let Me Hide Myself in Me. Powerful song. We'll touch on that another time. But here's the thing. Have you reached the point in your journey where you can honestly say God, um, if you don't go with me into this job, I don't want this new job or position. God, if you will not be with me in this relationship, I don't want this man or woman. God, if you're not in this new endeavor, this move, whatever it may be, if you're not with me on it, I don't want it. Because all the treasures and all the pleasures of Canaan mean nothing to me without your presence. Father, I thank you for your grace today. And I pray, God, that that what Moses saw and found in this passage of the 33rd chapter of Exodus would be something that would soak into our hearts and our minds today as we would leave this place and in all the different things that, that each one of us has to deal with. Go with us, Father, as we leave here today. In Jesus' name, amen.